Hello and welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast. I'm David here with Pastor Merritt. And today we'll be doing the third and final lesson of the Doctrine of the Prophet. The outline is on the website as well as a link on the podcast page. We will be beginning uh, today's lesson on page 16 down at point 17.5.5. But before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1.9 as may or may not be necessary. Thank you, Father, for the provisions of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and thus making us teachable as the Holy Spirit will teach because we are confessed up. So we need to be confessed up constantly as time goes by. That's our job as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was that line, uh, that number we were going to pick up at, David? 17.5.5. All right. So here we go. 17.5.5. Throughout the Old Testament, three lines or strands of prophecy were developed. One line concerning the suffering, sacrificial Messiah, and Christ's first coming. Uh, you find scriptures relating to that in Genesis 3.15, 22.18, compared with Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 and 16, and Genesis 49, verses 10 through 11, Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6, and Psalm 16, 22, and Psalm 16, 69. All right, now let's move on to a second strand concerning the reigning Messiah and Christ's second coming as promised in 2 Samuel 7 and delineated in such great passages as Isaiah 11:66, Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 and 11, Amos chapter 9 verse 11 and Zechariah chapters 12 through 14. The prophets explain in detail both the second coming of the Lord and the conditions of peace and prosperity which shall accompany his reign. Further defined in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, in Zechariah chapters 12 through 14. A third strand intertwines with the prophecies of the first and second coming of Christ. It has to do with certain historical events which are not connected with either the first or second coming of Christ, 
but are prophecies of particular historical events given to steady God's people in times of great trial and distress. They sketch out beforehand certain happenings in secular history. Examples are the revelation of the time to be spent by Israel under oppression in Egypt, namely 400 years. You can find more about that in Genesis 15, 14 compared with Exodus 12, 40, Galatians 3, 17, and 70 years of captivity in Babylon described in Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12, comparing that with Daniel 9, 2, and the delineation of the events between Daniel's day and the time of Antiochus Epiphanes described in Daniel chapter 11 verses 1 through 21. Now as relates to prophets, we have certain ethical and social teaching. This ministry of the prophet has been all too ignored, often in fact, in the studies by angelical scholars. Moses' first attempt to help his brethren was in the social sphere. Exodus 2.11, for example. Later he was guided of God to set up the great theocratic principles of social and economic justice found especially in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Amos was the Old Testament prophet who stressed this function of prophecy as he revealed the social injustices in the northern kingdom. Hosea reflects similar teaching, as does also Isaiah. Our Lord fulfilled this responsibility, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount and in some of his parables. Now let's take a look at political influence of prophets. This is often overlooked. Moses received a commission to demand the release of Israel by Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 6 verse 11 and chapter 9 verse 13, which you of course may read. Nathan was to appear before David, says Second Samuel chapter 12. Isaiah confronted King Ahaz and advised Hezekiah. So, similarly, in Isaiah 7 verse 37, Jeremiah was commanded to appear before the king at different times for different matters. Jeremiah 22 verse 1, 
34 verse 2 and 37 verse 7. Daniel appeared before Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and is so described in Daniel 2.19, 2.25, and chapter 5, verse 17. Amos's message reached the king throughout one of his ministers, says I, excuse me, <clears throat> says Amos 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. All right, now let's take a look at a soterological message. Soter is Greek word related to salvation. So we have a matter related, a message related to salvation. Chapter 20, verse 1, and David's going to begin reading there. The most important ministry performed by the prophet was that of giving a message of salvation. In this respect, the minister of the gospel follows in his footsteps. Constantly, the prophets warned the people of their sins and urged them to repent. We find such examples as Joshua calling upon Israel to choose whom they would serve. Moses gave the blessing and curses, followed by a plea to repent which would only be fulfilled finally as God led them to repentance and Christ's second coming. Jonah called on Nivea to repent with 40 days. That's in Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. Ezra prayed for those who had returned from exile to confess their sins and put away their foreign wives. Ezra chapter 9 verses 5 through 10 and chapter 11. And John the Baptist exhorted Israel to prepare a highway in their hearts for the coming of their king, Luke 3, verses 4 through 6. Modes of communication. Direct proclamation, the prophet proclaimed in simple, bold language in John, Jonah, chapter 3, verse 4, the message which God had given to him, it was communicated either, as in Moses' case, mouth to mouth, Numbers 12, verse 8. Though he alone was permitted to talk with God face to face, Deuteronomy 34, 10, or through a dream or vision, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11. But all, always it was by direct inspiration of God so that the prophets could again and again write, Thus saith the Lord. Figuratively, I'm sorry, figurative language, as a rule, the prophecies of the Old Testament are clear and direct. Though some are certainly purposely figurative, the reasons for the figurative are two. A, to convey more effectively and expressively some fact or truth, as in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, and Amos verse, chapter 9, verse 13. Or B, to express a knowledge of future events in such a form that it could not be fathomed by the unbeliever. On the other hand, only after most careful study. God does not cast all his pearls before swine. Amen. In general, however, the figures of speech are readily understandable 
when examined in the context of Old Testament culture. For example, when Isaiah said, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. From Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. The metaphoric imagery is that of preparing a highway for the coming of a king. The voice speaking this in the wilderness turned out to be that of John the Baptist as he preached repentance preparatory to the coming of the Messiah. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. When Isaiah speaks of a birth without travail and asks, can a nation be brought forth all at one, Isaiah 66, verse 8, the picture is easily recognizable as the same of that given in Zechariah, chapter, chapters 12 through 14, where the whole nation repents at Christ's second coming. Dramatic presentation. Sometimes the Lord directed the prophet to dramatize the message. Jeremiah was to make yokes and put them on his neck. In Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 2, Ezekiel to set up a drawing of the city on a tile and lay siege to it. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 1. Ezekiel was also to shave his head and his beard and to burn a third of a third of the hair in the city. Strike a second third with a sword and scatter a last third to the wind. Illustrating Jerusalem's approach, Jerusalem's approaching fate. That's in Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. God called upon Hosea to marry a harlot and redeem her from slavery as a picture of his undying love for Israel. Wow. Now that's tough for Hosea, huh, David? Yes, sir. Let me develop that prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible opens with the declaration in Genesis 3.15. This belongs to the first prophetic strand, which announces the first coming of Christ as the suffering, sacrificial Messiah. The second thread, that of the ruling, reigning Messiah, appears so closely intertwined with this first thread in the Abrahamic covenant that they are first all excuse me, they are first at first indistinguishable. The third, namely that line of prophecies which foretell historical events needed to strengthen the faith of the believer in dark, difficult days appears, first of all, in Genesis 15, 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. Genesis 15, 13, with the announcement that Israel will remain in Egypt for 40, well, excuse me, actually plus 400 years. Though Abraham was a prophet, it was Moses who first fully exemplified all the ministries of the Old Testament prophet. He was so far above the other prophets, 
both in character and in administration that God compares Christ to him. He does that in Deuteronomy 18.18. In contrast, the New Testament writer compares him to Christ as the lesser to the greater in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through verse 6. In the times of the judges, there were sporadic political and military, but little spiritual leadership. Word from the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. You can see that in the New uh, Anglican Bible, in 1 Samuel 3, chapter 1. That's a study Bible, by the way. This continued until the days of Samuel. The prophet appears to have started a school of the prophets, which died out only to be revived again by Elijah and Elisha. You see that in Second Kings 2 verse 3. During the time of apostasy and idolatry in the northern kingdom, 1 Kings 18.18 It was to be expected that great spiritual leaders such as Samuel and Elijah would attract to themselves young men keen to follow in their footsteps. Two prophetic movements remain to be described. That of Amos and Hosea to warn the northern kingdom of their sin and coming captivity and that of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others to warn the southern kingdom of Judah of her sin, judgment, and coming exile. There is a close resemblance between the prophetic messages to the north and also to the south. Passages of warning against sin and threatened punishments are interspersed with promise of future restoration, peace, and blessing. As these passages are sorted out and fitted into the pattern given in the Mosaic Covenant, in Deuteronomy chapters 30, well, actually 27 through 30, a marvelous picture emerges of the future promise to Israel and of the millennial kingdom in which all believers will have a part. The kingdom promises add details to the revelations given in the covenants. It is Daniel, however, who gives the most extensive prophetic outline of history. He starts by interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great human statue, Daniel chapter 2, and later the visions of the lion, 
the bear, the leopard, and the terrible beast with the horns which break in pieces and stamp the residue, excuse me, residue with its feet. You'll find that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. These visions reveal the history of those great nations which were to affect Israel's history until the second coming of Christ. Daniel ends by foretelling the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, and the resurrection of the saints of the Most High. And you can find wonderful prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. David, why don't you take over and tell us about the New Testament Christ in these prophecies? In the New Testament, Christ is both the fulfillment of prophecy as the sacrificial, suffering Messiah and a prophet in his own right. Matthew 21, verse 19. Luke 24, 19. John 4, 19. And 7, uh, verse 40. He announces that the kingdom of God is at hand and speaks of its dynamic existence during the church age and the hearts of those who have accepted him as their savior. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. He teaches that the kingdom has become a living reality at his first coming, but that all its full development awaits his return from heaven to take over its rulership. And that can be found in Matthew 22, 33 through 44, Daniel chapter 2, verses 35, chapters 43, 44, and chapter 7, verse 9 through 14. Christ, let me back up, that's Daniel 2, 35, and then verses 43, 44, and then chapter 7, verse 9 through 14. Christ put his hand directly on Daniel's prophecy of the abomination of desolation and identified it as the sign which would immediately precede the great tribulation, Matthew 24, 15, thus dispelling all speculation as to the terminal point of Daniel's prophecies in Daniel chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 9, and 11 and 12. Once this point has been established, the terrible beast of Daniel 7 and its counterpart in Revelation 13 and 17 can be seen as identical. Methods of interpretation. The interpretation of that strand which concerns Christ's first coming is agreed upon by all orthodox theologians. They also agree that Christ will return. However, there is much disagreement surrounding the details of his second coming, and especially on the matter of the kingdom. Very simply stated, the problem is this. Can prophecies about the kingdom and the second advent of Christ be accepted and understood in the same literal manner as the prophecies which foretold his first coming? Certain prophecies in the Old Testament foretell the presentation of animal sacrifices in the eschatological temple. Ezekiel 43 through 46 and Zechariah 14, 21. 
Because of the theological problems raised by blood sacrifices subsequent to Christ's all-sufficient atoning death, some feel these other prophecies concerning an earthly kingdom must be spiritualized. They are applied either to the presentation of the gospel in the present church age or else to the future eternal state in some spiritualized sense. But is it permissible to depart from the normal grammatical historical method of interpretation? The strand of prophecy which deals with Christ's second coming is interpreted in different ways. Pre, post, mid, and partial, although the partial tend to be of the mid-tribulation persuasion. Okay, there's a couple of words coming, coming along here that I think it's time for Pastor Mayor to take over. Take it away. There is also the amillennialist who allegorizes eschatological scriptures and therefore do not view the rapture or the second advent as an event. We have in this particular lesson plan a wonderful chart which is also in our our uh, outline. outline that shows you what a pre-tribulationist, mid-tribulationist, and post-tribulationist uh, is. And uh, of course, uh, when you talk about pre-tribulationists, that happens to be what David and I are. We look forward to the rapture of the church, which can happen any time. And uh, we'll be taken up and meet the Lord in the air, as will all be other believers, ultimately to uh, get welcomed into heaven and... Uh, we will always be with the Lord in heaven until Christ returns and then we will return with him uh, to reign uh, in heaven still, of course, in the New Jerusalem. But uh, we'll be there a thousand years during what is called the millennium. Then there is a person, and I'll quickly get rid of uh, describing it, the other two types of, of uh, events. One is a mid-tribulationist, that means in the middle of the tribulation, the rapture will occur. And there is a post-tribulationist, which believes that the rapture and the uh, not only the rapture, but also the second advent are the same. And the chart, I think, clearly describes that. You can just, you can just go to page 22 at the very end of the uh, lesson and uh, review that chart if you so choose. Well, that finishes us up. For wow. The, for the Doctrine of the Prophet, that was, that that was, was three good, lessons. Good lesson, David. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we... Do the best we can with what we got. <laughs> and we'll be coming up with uh, the, I think it's called the Doctrine of Daniel. 
Dr. Ed Daniel will start next week, uh, and we'll get into that, and we're looking forward to starting and having you with us again. Uh, as is always, we appreciate you being here. It's very important. Uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. If there's anyone out there within the sound of our voices or beyond uh, that you can tell, uh, remind them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Pastor Merritt, could you close us with a prayer? Thank you, Father, for the privilege of still living in the United States of America where we can present the gospel of Christ, that is the good news, as David has just told you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So pray for our country. Pray for all countries. Pray for planet Earth. Pray for the events that can be found in the scripture with reference to faith alone in Christ alone provides salvation forever and ever. So David, close her out, finalize it as you usually do so well. Okay, until next time. So long.